So today, today we are going to look at Romans chapter 9 for our message and dive into this topic about mobilizing the church to reach those people, those places that are abortion mission fields. And I just want to recognize up front that like this sermon doesn't fit nicely within the Songs of Summer series. You can always, you can always be creative. Like after the service, there's a really good song called Untold by Matthew West that kind of brings you into a very personal uh, explanation of somebody thinking about this whole thing, and so I encourage you to stick around and listen to it. Um, but no, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to force it. it we're just going to use the graphics. <laughs> yes. Um, Romans chapter 9. Roman, this is dangerous. I can't hear anything that you're saying, so... Romans chapter 9, uh, and for those of you that didn't hear me earlier, my left ear like isn't working this morning, so it's been, since Wednesday, it's been clogged, so I really, it's been, it's really weird. So we're going to do our best. Uh, Romans chapter 9 is an interesting place to turn for a message like this, but it's one that God led me and Shannon to, and we got to work through it together, which was really cool. And Romans chapter 9 is within the book of Romans. It's really a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And it's an amazing letter. Like, it is like an incredible one grand argument of Paul is just laying it out as clear as possible. He's asking questions and he's answering them. And it's just phenomenal. Romans is probably one of the most theologically deep and clear and just amazing books in the entire Bible. And so if you have it, I encourage you to turn there with me. The words will be on the screen as well, and you can follow along. So we're starting in Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 1. It says this, With Christ as my witness, I speak, that's Paul, with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief. For, for who? For my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, he says, I will be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. And so Paul starts us by talking about his heart and saying that he is sad. He is very, very sad for his fellow Jewish believer, uh, for his fellow Jews, his, his, his uh, brothers and sisters that are not believers, that they are far from God. They, they might have a shared cultural history, maybe even religious past history, but currently they are not saved. They're not following Jesus, and Paul's heart is going out to them. He even says that he would be willing to be accursed by God so that they could be saved. Like, talk about someone who is passionate about these people. And I just wonder, who in your life could you say that about? Who in your life could you say that you are willing to be put to death, to be accursed so that they could live and be saved? I mean, what a hard, challenging question to think about if we answer that truthfully. But that's what Paul is saying. He cares so much about these people. He loves them so much. And I don't think it's possible. I think Paul knows it's not possible, right? But he's saying if it was, he wants them to feel his heart, to know his heart in this. Because it's so personal for him. Like he was a leader of the Jewish religion. He was a Pharisee. He was leading people. And he thought he was doing the right thing at the very early stages of the Jesus movement by putting followers of Jesus to death. He thought he was standing up for God's honor. He was protecting 
God's truth and the religion that he grew up in and loved and was born. He thought he was honoring God in every way by even putting Christians to death. And so why in the world would God choose him, a murderer, somebody who was leading people in a completely wrong direction for years and years and years? Why would God choose him? He must have felt so unworthy. And Paul knew that about himself. And so therefore, he said, if God did that for me, I know more than anybody else that he can do that for everyone. That God can show up in their life and save them and redeem them. And some, for some reason, God chose him. And he wanted everyone else to know that God's chosen them too. And this is what he says about those people. Those people that... Um, he's trying to reach, that he feels so brokenhearted for. He says, they are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adoptive children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned, and he is God the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Like these are the people that Paul is brokenhearted for, that are far from God, that are not saved. These are the words that Paul uses to describe them. This is a group of people that turn their back on God, a nation that chose not to follow Jesus. He chose to call them chosen They had a privilege. They received wonderful things. And I just wonder, what words do you use to describe the people that you disagree with? Like you could just flip on Twitter for two seconds and find a whole bunch of wonderful words to use, right? Four-letter words, words that start with B and L and S and every other word under the sun, right? To describe the people that you disagree with. But Paul chose such different words. And so he continues. He says, well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? Right? If these people are chosen, if they're receiving these wonderful promises and they're not following Jesus, then what happened? Right? Did God fail? And Paul says no. For not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. For being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. Then he quotes the scriptures. He says, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, through, though Abraham had other children too. And this means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God had promised, I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Right? So if they're God's chosen people, then like, why aren't they following Jesus now? And why aren't they chosen by God now? And Paul just answers it by saying that, well, not all Israel is Israel. You know, not everyone, who be- not everyone believes that the church isn't God. The people are not God. And, right? and Christians who claim to be saved, sometimes they aren't, and sometimes they don't live like it. Just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian, just as much as sleeping in the garage doesn't make you a car. 
Just because you read your Bible or do nice things for people doesn't make you a Christian. Just because your parents were Christians doesn't make you a Christian. Not all Israel is Israel. Just like not all people who claim to be Christians are Christians. And so Paul goes on in his very in-depth explanation of all of this by explaining more about what he's talking about here. And he says, this son of our ancestor Isaac, he, when he was married to Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. And this message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. And so Isaac and Rebekah, they had twins. Their names were Jacob and Esau. And God chose one over the other. And that wasn't because one was going to do good and one was going to do bad. And so you wonder, right, how does God know who to choose? Does he look ahead into the future, because God knows everything, right, and say, okay, Jacob, you're going to do great things for me, so therefore I'm going to choose you. And Esau, you're going to be not so good, so I'm not going to choose you. Sounds logical, but nope. <laughs> That's not what Paul is saying here. And we so often think of our relationship with God in these terms. Like if we do enough good things, then we'll be made right with God. And for those people that don't do enough good things, then, well, good luck to them, right? But Paul is telling us here in these verses that before you were born, God had a plan for your life, for every life. From the moment life is conceived, there's a plan. And actually, there's a plan even before that, too. Before the foundation of the world, God had a plan. And it's not based on a person's choices. It's not based on God's foreknowledge that this person will be a pastor one day, so I'm going to choose that person. And this person is going to do some really terrible things, so I'm not going to choose that person. No. God's election, that's the big theological term, is his own choice. It's not based on anything that we do or will do. It's God's plan. So when, when we take life and death matters into our own hands, well, like, we don't really get to make that decision. Like, God is the one who knows. God is the one who chooses. God has the position to do that, and we don't. That's God's to determine and to figure out. And so Paul continues in this illustration, and he says the scriptures. He's quoting scripture all the time through Romans. It's crazy. I said, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. That's a quote from the Old Testament. It's like, okay, right? Isaac's had two sons, two twins, Jacob and Esau. And naturally, you would think, right? God chooses the good one and rejects the evil one. No. <laughs> no. But what does it mean that God rejected Esau? And then the King James Version translates the word there, the Greek word there, as hated. It says, I love, God loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. You're like, I thought God loved. Yeah. 
And, and rejected is probably the right understanding of that term because of the context of God choosing Jacob and not choosing everyone else, <laughs> Esau specifically here. Like, it's not an emotion. It's not a, like, a, I hate emotion. It's a choice. It's a sovereign choice. And again, it's not based on any good deeds or any bad deeds. It's just God's choice. So in terms of the abortion topic we're talking about today, we think that God chooses the good people and hates those that have an abortion or perform abortions. But Paul is telling us that is not how this works. God chooses you not based on what you do, good or bad. That's a pretty crazy thought, isn't it? And so you might wonder... If it doesn't matter what we do, why do anything? Right? If it doesn't matter, it seems so unfair, right? This God of mercy and fairness and justice, right? Just choosing people for no reason doesn't seem very fair. That's a great question. And uh, I love questions like this. I heard a pastor say recently in one of his messages that questions like this, you know, atheists and skeptics ask all the time, like, all these questions are in the Bible. <laughs> like, God knew that you were going to be asking these questions thousands of years later. Like, there is not a question that you can ask that is like a big theological concept like this that God hasn't already given us in his word, which is pretty remarkable. And sure, you could ask about, like, technology and the thing that happened last week. Like, that's not in the Bible. But, like, the, the principles are, and these big questions, like, Writers of scripture have like already asked them and have given us some great answers to them. And so this is Paul asking this exact question, right? Why does it matter that we do anything? And Paul answers, are we saying then that God was unfair? And his answer is, of course not. For God said, and now he's quoting more scripture, to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose. And I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to sow mercy, and we can neither choose it nor work for it. Right? That's Paul's answer. And he's like, I got an illustration for you. And if you were here last week, you'll see he goes right to Pharaoh. I told you that the Exodus story is like all throughout Scripture. It's like a, such a well-known story. And Paul points back, and remember that guy? Remember Pharaoh? God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for this very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, Paul says, God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. Remember, Moses went to Pharaoh and Pharaoh, or Moses said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, because his heart was hardened by God. So God called Pharaoh for a very specific purpose. God was going to show off. And he needed somebody to make it hard. So that God could show off. God has a specific purpose for every single person. And this has so many applications, right? Like every person like Pharaoh, every political leader, God appoints. The ones you like and the ones you don't like. The ones that vote like you and the ones that don't. God appoints all of them for a specific purpose. And he has a purpose for everyone, no matter how evil. 
Like the classic example is Hitler or Stalin or the dictators that have committed mass murder and genocide. Like they're, that's horrible, horrible, horrible. And then like what about those evil people in your neighborhood that have done something horrible to the people that you love? What about the doctors that perform abortions? What about the healthcare worker that promotes it and makes women think it's their best and only choice? Like, yes, them too, God, is sovereign over them. And somehow God's power is displayed in them. And this is the crazy part. Even if they never repent. Even if God hardens their heart and they're so fully convinced that what they're doing is right and they never turn to God, they never admit they're guilty, God is sovereign over that situation and somehow uses that to display his great power. And so, you're like, I got questions. (laughs) And Paul says, I know. And here's, here's the question. If God is the one in charge and hardens people's hearts so that they can't turn to him, then how are the people responsible for that? Yeah. Right? If they're not, like, choosing it, if God's the one choosing it, then, right, what do they do about that? If God chooses someone to have an abortion every single year of their life or be a doctor that performs hundreds of abortions every year or a politician that advocates for the rights of someone to have an abortion if they choose, are they really responsible for that? First of all, I believe that all of those people I just mentioned can be Christians. All of these people can put their faith in Jesus and be saved because Jesus died to pay the penalty for their sin. He was perfect so that they didn't have to be. And no matter what they have done, their sin is forgiven when they believe in Jesus. It's been paid for on the cross. There's no amount of bad choices you can make that can separate you from God. In a moment, any single one of these people, any single one of you can be saved, can be forgiven. You can be born into the family of God because of what Jesus has done for you. But secondly, if God chooses to not elect these individuals and their hearts are hardened and they never turn to Jesus in faith, It is still their responsibility. So, Paul, tell us why. (laughs) Paul tells us, well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No. (laughs) Don't say that. Who are you, mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? Right? Who are you? Who are you? God is God. Trust him. And you might have a lot of questions, and questions are a great thing. But sometimes we can let our questions get in the way of trusting in Jesus. Like, you won't ever have answers to every single question. God is too big for your brain for that. And maybe it's this issue of abortion that is one of your major questions. Like, you just don't get it. 
Or maybe it's something like the Trinity, you know? It's like, I could listen to a million sermons about it. I could have a million conversations about it. I could figure out all the different angles, and I just still got questions. There's a pastor, uh, J.D. Greer, in North Carolina. I heard talk about this one time. He was saying someone came to him with all these questions about the Trinity, and he was just, like, laying out all the different things. But, you know, Trinity is one of the hardest concepts to explain. God, three persons in one nature, it's, it's hard. So there's like different illustrations. You could use like water, and you could use an egg, and you could use like all these things to explain the Trinity. And this person that he was talking to is just like, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. So J.D. said to her, she, he said, okay, let's try a different angle. If Jesus were to show up and just meet you, like right here, Jesus was here, and you absolutely knew without a doubt that it was Jesus, and for whatever reason, right? Like he like told you something that only he would know. He like did some miracle. Like for, for whatever, for the sake of the, the illustration, right? Hypothetically, Jesus did something that you absolutely knew positively that it was Jesus. And you asked Jesus, explain the Trinity to me. And Jesus is like, no. I'm not giving you the answer to that. Would it be enough for you to believe in Jesus knowing that like he was literally standing in front of you, that he really was real, that he was true, that he was who he said he was, even though he didn't give you the answer to everything? And so JD says that this woman went home, she went to sleep, and I guess like the next day she like texted him or something and she was like, yeah, it would be enough. <laughs> like we have to at some point, like questions are great, but at some point we have to trust God with our questions. Like, we won't be able to just iron everything out. And knowing who Jesus is and what he's done for you is like the central theme of, of it all. And I pray that's the central theme of what you're hearing today. Like, get to know Jesus. And if he's real, if he's who he said he was, if he did what he said he did, then, like, a lot of these other things can kind of... We don't, we don't have to have all the exact answers for all of it. So Paul continues, he says, when a potter makes jars of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and the other to throw garbage into? <laughs> like it's God that makes the beautiful decoration and it's God who makes the garbage can. And I, I don't know about you, but I want a perfect, holy, wise God to make that decision and not me. Because if it was me or anybody else making that decision, I'm going garbage can every time. Like, I just know my pottery skills, right? Like, I, I'm going to trust him to do that. And so in the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. Like, we need a God who makes that choice. We, made, we need a God who, who has that sovereignty, has that power. Like, we don't want anybody else having that responsibility. Like, this perfect, holy, righteous, omnipotent, omniscient God is the one that needs to do that. But he is also patient. So patient. Like, if there is a sin in your life that is keeping you from God, God will give you time and time again to make today the day that you come to Jesus. 
Like, don't put it off anymore. Like, today is the day. Now is the time. Right now is the time. Today is the day. Trust in Jesus. But if it's not, you know, you you aren't guaranteed tomorrow, but you are guaranteed tomorrow that you will have the same opportunity to repent and turn to this patient God. Like, he is that patient with you. Like you might have been turned away from him for so long, and he's still right there waiting. He's still right there waiting for you. And he does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who are prepared in advance for glory. Some of you have been running from God for so long, and you've thought the decisions that you've made have disqualified you from God. Maybe your friends or your family members would never go to church because a choice that they made in their late teen years. No. Like from the depths of my soul, hear me say that God has come to save you and that you are exactly the person that he came to save. He has chosen you. He loves you. And when you turn to him in faith, it is an incredible miracle. One that certainly you have some decision in, but ultimately, that's God. And it glorifies God. That's how amazing God is. And so we are among those whom he's selected, both from the Jew and from the Gentiles. Like, look what God does. He chooses everybody, anybody, both Jew and Gentile. And the Jews thought that was incredible. That was impossible. The Gentiles were those crazy sinner people that worshiped all these crazy gods. There was no way that God would ever love them, that God would ever do anything for them, that God would ever be for them. And Paul's saying, no, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. That Jesus died for your sin and their sin too. And this invitation to believe in Jesus, to have your sin forgiven, is open to anybody, everybody, literally, even in the darkest of places, even the darkest of hearts. And so for those of us who would call ourselves believers today, let's take the light of the gospel to those places. Let's be aware of what's happening in our community and engage it in the name of Jesus. And for those of us who wouldn't consider yourself a believer yet or you still have questions, the invitation is open to you. God has chosen you. He has died for you so that you could be born again. Trust in him, believe in him, and live for him. And so in just a minute, Sarah is going to come up and tell us a little bit more about the Love Life organization. But uh, before I turn the microphone over to her, I thought it would be best to use the next couple minutes as just like a reflection time. And so some music is kind of going to play in the background. And I just want to encourage you to just pray. Pray for somebody who you know in your life is far from God. Maybe you're praying for somebody who is involved in one way or another in the abortion mission field. Or maybe you just need prayer yourself. Maybe that's you today. If you'd like somebody to pray for you, I'd love to pray for you. You can come down and sit down here next to me or um, something like that. But I'd love to pray with you. And um, we'll just ask God to continue speaking to us today. So like I said, in just a couple minutes um, after we pray, Sarah 
will come on up here.